G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Vision Christian Radio is all about connecting faith to life. From inspiring stories about the struggles we all face, to helping you understand the issues going on in the world, to clear and understandable Bible teaching, all peppered with great Christian music, the latest news, and even a few laughs along the way. You're about to experience just a small part of what we do. For the full experience, tune into a Vision Christian Radio FM or AM station near you. Listen online at visionradio.org.au or download our free app. Borders and borders. Respecting borders as in national borders and welcoming borders as in refugees. You might have your own thoughts about what's going on in Syria and as our conversation unfolds in this hour, you might like to be part of the conversation and our talkback line is open. The number to call is 1-800-316-316. Our special guest this hour is Gordon Priest. Gordon is Director of Ethos, that's the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society, uh, also known as uh, as an Evangelical Alliance think tank. And Gordon, uh, something of a researcher when it comes to a lot of these very difficult topics uh, that uh, are facing the nation, the issues that are facing Australia, issues that are facing the world. Let's welcome our guest. Hello, Gordon Priest. Welcome back to 2020. Hi, Good to be with you. Really great to talk through this issue today, Gordon, and and knowing of some of the direction that we want to take our conversation, some things that people will be enlarged in their thinking, others will be challenged quite significantly. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, what's happening in Syria right now by way of perhaps setting the scene for a conversation that'll lead us into talking about the borders of nations and those borders, as in the refugees. Uh, just uh, just how serious uh, does Syria look from your perspective when you look uh, through these uh, Christian worldview eyes that you use to examine situations like this? Well, I, th- I think it's very um, serious. You know, you can almost make a word play on that. Um, but um, except it's a bit too serious to be joking about uh it's it's um yeah it's one of those things they call a wicked problem you know those um what what you do to try and fix a problem creates another problem in another another spot think of it like that that, you know that pop-up game where you kind of you know you knock them down and then they pop up in other other parts of the game that's that's the way it seems to work in the middle east and uh so for instance, you, you might say there's been some progress, and I would say there's some progress between um, the Americans and the through the negotiations with Iran uh, regarding nuclear weapons. But um, that hasn't really won any capital in terms of Iran's involvement um, with Hezbollah and supporting uh, Mr. Assad, the, the ruler, the very dictatorial ruler of, of Syria. So um, and it's and it's alienated other American um, sort of allies and proxies like Saudi Arabia and Qatar, um, who don't like the Iranians because they're they're a different kind of Muslims to them. The Iranians are Shiite. Um, they tend to be Sunni. 
um, as IS is a very, very extreme form of Sunni um, Islam. So you get all these complications, and um, and it's and it's also a kind of aspect of a, a, a new Cold War between the U.S. and the and Russia that's um, been resurfacing. Um, it links in with the problems in the Ukraine. Uh, the shooting down of the plane carrying the Australians and 30-something lives were lost there when we've been noting the first anniversary of that. And so there are, there are lots of complications. Russia has a, has a port um, near the coast in Syria that's very cr crucial to them. Um, they're flying out of there as well um, in their bombing raids and uh, mainly while they claim they're attacking I IS, the evidence seems to be that they're attacking the um, opposition forces to President Assad. So you've got all of these sorts of complications. And I, and I could give you, a, um, someone summarized it quite well, the um, uh, Channel 4 in the UK's Paul Mason. He said, it's a democratic uprising. At first, a democratic uprising became a civil war, got hijacked by Islamists, was abandoned by the West, and became a bargaining piece in a bigger standoff with Putin's Russia. The Syrian uprising failed because Putin rearmed a military that was teetering and because, and with Russian help, and because Iran's proxy Hezbollah helped defeat the moderate opposition. And because Qatar and Saudi Arabia withheld aid from secular opposition forces in order to strengthen their own and Turkey's proxies um, called the Army of Conquest. It, it so does demonstrate... It Sorry. demonstrates the complexity of the situation, and uh, and as you're going through that uh, that little history there of how this conflict has begun to unfold, uh, really everybody, in some sense, uh, is a part of this. And as we think of our own RAAF uh, bombers who are over oh. Syria, and every one of those bombs that is dropped in Syria and in northern Iraq. Well, we're taxpayers, and I guess we could all say that uh, our tax dollars are contributing to every one of those bombs that's dropped by our RAAF. So we are in the middle of this conflict. And, and when you talk about the complexity of how this conflict is unfolding, how do you see uh, this, uh, this presence of ourselves, Australians, there in Syria? Mm, um, very good question. You've certainly made it uh, the, the sort of sense of complicity um, very tangible, and Neil, I think, and 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 it's true. Um, our tax dollars do go towards towards this, and I think we're repeating the mistakes that we made in Iraq. Um, we've um, we tend to blunder in, and we tend to. It's still a bit like the all the way with LBJ kind of scenario, going back to the seventies, and and Mr. Holt, and we kind of act as a loyal deputy, and. Um, you know, so much of this um, came about through um, basically the we, we went to war following the Americans in the second Iraq war to get rid of Saddam Hussein based on completely false intelligence about them um, having kind of weapons of mass destruction, including chemical weapons. And and uh, that, that was a war based on a lie. And that led to a massive power vacuum which IS has, um, has filled um, in, to a considerable extent and at a kind of failed state in Iraq. And 
we, we tend to assume that just because you have elections or, or even with the Arab Spring, which has turned into a, a, a winter, a very chilly winter, that just because you have elections that you get democracy. But the problem is democracy hinges on things like um, freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, freedom of the press, a whole range of institutional things that have been built up um, going back to the Greeks, um, a Christian view of individual human dignity in the image of God, individual um, rights of minorities, etc. And you don't have any of those safeguards in the Middle East in the way it's operating. People say, well, I've got the numbers, so I can kind of wipe out the opposition. And that's what we, we see happening almost right across the Middle East. And, uh, and the wiping out in many places of, um, of Christians. Um, you know, people who've been living there for 2,000 years are, um, are in many ways being, being wiped out. And this is an indirect result of our actions in being involved in the, the war in Iraq in the first place. And now we're backing it up with dropping bombs um, in someone else's territory, you know, across their borders in, in Syria. Tragic circumstances that are going on in Syria. And just to reflect for a moment, Gordon, when you talk about this ideal of all the way with LBJ and Australia almost hanging on the coattails of Barack Obama and what the Americans are doing there in Syria. Uh, the idea that sort of goes along with, uh, you know, when America steps into a conflict and the ideal is to create a new democratic society, it, as you've indicated, it just doesn't work so easily as that when you haven't had uh, almost centuries of development of those, uh, those foundations that actually create what we've seen in the West. Absolutely. Um, those things, you know, it's we, we we sort of think it's like speed dating or something, and that people people will fall in love with democracy um, after a five minute conversation or so, and um, and then they start to just discover that they have these enormous differences and these huge historical differences in in heritage, philosophy, religion, worldview, etc. that that have to be bridged. And yeah, you know, I think we've um, and and the and the rules, even you know the rules of the the basic rules that, that we have in Western democracy about minority rights, etc., and freedom of freedom of conscience, all those sorts of things. They've taken millennia to build up, mm. and 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 quite a lot of it is is based on a Christian view of individual human rights. Um, uh, those things were kind of some of that also came down through the Renaissance, the Reformation, uh, the Enlightenment in in eighteenth century Europe, and um, and the human rights tradition after the Second World War, saying that you know dictators don't have the right to just go and wipe out um, people like the Jews, particularly in in um, Hitler's Germany, and so the Nuremberg. Um, trials and and uh, showed that there are there's a certain form of human universal human rights that are above and and law a kind of natural law that is above the the law of particular governments well Gordon, a lot of what Hitler did was legal hmm. he made it he made it legal and he he fooled the people and he got a majority on side and uh, so, so they, these international kind of uh, sense of human rights, the law of human nature, 
um, was developed out of a long tradition um, in order to try and protect people. Gordon, lots to talk about. Uh, The topic of our conversation this hour, respecting borders and welcoming borders, talking about national borders and welcoming borders as in refugees. And we'll get to the refugees in a few moments. But, uh, but Gordon, just to pick up on a couple of quick points uh, that you are making about the respect for borders, uh, the idea that national borders are a little bit like the old saying, good fences make good neighbours, uh, the idea of uh, people's identity because they're contained within borders and the breaking of international law when you have nations that go beyond those borders without the permission of those who control those borders. Uh, here we are, an uninvited uh, participant in Syria. How does all of that fit with international law, in your opinion, uh, with our uh, our planes there participating with the US? Yeah, I, I think it presents lots of problems because we have um, gone into Syria without permission, and and we're bombing in Syria without without permission. Now, um, the ex Prime Minister Mr. Abbott's uh, comment on that was, "Well, IS doesn't respect borders." But it's very much like a two wrongs. Two wrongs don't make a right, um, and I, I think that was a very, um, yeah, very foolish and I think unethical comment. Frankly, um, just do we really want to lower ourselves to the, to the level of IS and and not respect people's borders? Now, now I agree, IS is a is a literally wicked problem. Um, that we need to, um, you know, not just let them sort of get away with with, with everything. But is this is this the way forward? Um, because Russia can then kind of justify going in and, and bombing, um, and it's and it's interesting. It, it followed almost immediately after after that. Um, and there's there's also various other things in terms of say the just war tradition. And I'm not necessarily advocating a pacifist position in saying this, but according to just war, you you have to make sure that you're that you are not. Um, you have a strict separation between between soldiers and civilians, and you're not killing innocent, you know, men, women, and children, who were not um, directly involved in the conflict. But the the evidence is that lots are being killed, and that's in um, the evidence from Iraq, uh, the evidence in Syria. Um, there are groups that are monitoring this, um, and, and and independent um, international human rights kind of groups are monitoring it. And so, and, and we don't have open, transparent systems uh, to check whether our bombs are actually falling on civilians. I'm sure they're not intended to fall on civilians, but we have a kind of naive trust in technology, and um, and we assume, you know, well, you know, this is collateral damage, etc. But you know, the case recently in Afghanistan where the Medicine Sans Frontiers uh, hospital was wiped out. Yep. And, and the Americans have had to admit that. Now, now at least the Americans have come around to, a, a, to admit it. Um, and lots, lots of other powers don't admit it. Um, so I'm not particularly wanting to be anti-American in, in this, and I, and I can commend them on what they've, they did with Iran earlier in terms of trying to um, deal with a nuclear issue. But I, think, I, I don't think it's justifiable in international law, nor according to just war theory and uh, the Christian roots of that theory. 
Well, I want to invite our listeners to join into our conversation. And as you can hear, it is a complex set of circumstances that are going on in the nation of Syria and involving those Middle Eastern nations, as well as the US and, of course, Russia in what can be described as a new Cold War scenario. And and here we are as Australians in the middle of it all. Uh, we'll talk some more in just a few moments with regard to refugees as we've been focusing this uh, introduction into uh, the idea of looking at those national borders. But uh, for listeners who'd like to participate in our conversation, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. What are your thoughts on borders, as in national borders, and on borders, as in refugees. What do you think outcomes will look like after this Syrian crisis? Uh, Is Australia's involvement in Syria justified? Well, you might like to make a contribution. How do you think Christians should pray as these global issues unfold? 2020 on Vision. It's Neil with you. It is the Friday edition 2020 and talking through a complex and important, even controversial issue this hour. Talking about respecting borders and welcoming borders. Respecting borders as in national borders and as we focus on the Middle East, talking about the borders of Syria. Because Australian fighter jets are there alongside the US and allies and bombing targets in Syria. We're also talking about welcoming borders as in refugees and you might like to contribute to our conversation, 1-800-316-316. Gordon Priest is our guest, Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance think tank, and talking through these important issues. Gordon, let me just come to the second element of this conversation today, and that is welcoming borders, as in refugees. Uh, We've had that announcement uh, when Tony Abbott was the Prime Minister about welcoming 12,000 of those who are coming from persecuted minorities in refugee camps around the borders in those neighbouring nations around Syria. Uh, There is a welcome mat that is out. Uh, How do you reflect on that 12,000 and on the overall refugee crisis that's going on there in the Middle East? Right. Um, it's an enormous issue, and um, I think it, it's interesting the way things can change quite quickly. So you can have the, the photograph, that very visceral image of that three-year-old um, Alan Curdy, you know, sort of limp body face down on a, on a beach um, in Greece, and the tragedy of that, and that's really uh, changed people's perceptions. It's a bit like the, the picture in the Vietnam War of the of the girl um, with napalm, with her sort of body on fire. Um, and that that changed um, people's perceptions of the Vietnam War. And um, I, think, I think we have to try and work out how do we not just... I, I think taking the 12,000 has been a right, a right reaction. What we need to do is work out how do we actually... Um, yeah, provide space at a temporary home for borders. Um, although these, I think, have have um, permanent rights, and I think I also think that's important because there are a lot of people already here who are just in limbo, and they can't actually get visas, they can't work, um, and they're stuck in this kind of permanent sort of purgatory, and that's extremely difficult and inhumane in my in my view. Um, what we've proposed. At the through the Anglican Social Responsibilities um, Committee of Melbourne Anglican Diocese at our 
synod or uh, church um, parliament last weekend uh, and what was approved was that we should make this increased number, which brings it up to 25,500 refugees, we should make that rounded off to 27,000 by 2017, which is what the, um, the independent government expert panel had recommended back in 2012. And I think we need to do that so that we get it out of the election cycle. We get it out of people just trying to get cheap populist points uh, when it comes up to an election um, by being hard on refugees. And we need to recognise this is a permanent problem. Um, it's, it's the war in Syria now, but there are, there are other places. Um, there are things going on in Africa. There's the Rohingya people, um, uh, Muslim people uh, who are effectively stateless who came originally from Bangladesh, um, but are being kind of booted out of Burma. And there hasn't been enough speaking up about them. So they've been kind of overshadowed by the Syrian situation. And they, they are in a terrible situation. Um, and, and we've already seen the idea of climate change refugees being raised with Mr Abbott and, uh, and Mr Dutton um, in a very inappropriate kind of response where he kind of made a joke about the, the water lapping um, around the, these Pacific islands. Well, it is actually lapping up around those islands. And I've heard Christians from those islands talking about the situation um, at international conferences I've been at. And we, we will have climate change refugees, and that will make the war on Syria look like, um, yeah, like a, um, you know, by, tiny by comparison. So this is basically a, a, a permanent issue. Um, when and... we talk about these refugees, Gordon, and we're talking about refugees fleeing civil war, uh, you're also talking about the prospect of climate refugees uh, into the future. You're suggesting uh, that, uh, that the whole world needs to work out how they function with their borders uh, and because there are going to be a lot more refugees seeking a new place of permanence. And, and everyone has to think through this issue very carefully. Absolutely. And, and in, in, in many places, it's best for people to be able to stay sort of in a position where they might be able to return to their homeland. But there are some situations that have become almost you know, failed states. And those situations, it's very unlikely people will ever be able to return. Um, and this is where sometimes we're naive. We say, oh, people haven't got passports or, you know, they're queue jumpers or what? Well, there are, no, there are no queues in a lot of these places. There is very little order. It is, it is chaos. And, um, and we, we also have a, we have a moral responsibility because we've been involved in these wars in Afghanistan, in Iraq. Um, we're now involved in Syria. And uh, there have been um, massive consequences from these wars that are now leading to all of these refugees. And so we can't just go in, in, in on, on the war side without picking up the pieces in terms of the refugees. I think it's a moral responsibility. That doesn't mean we can pick up all of them. Um, it's, it's largely to countries like Turkey has 2 million. I think Lebanon has... It's about a fifth of the population now, I think, are, ref are refugees. Mm. It's mm. a massive issue for them. Um, these, these countries are taking in enormous amounts. On the other hand, there are groups like Saudi Arabia who are really taking in no one, um, and that's based partly on religious divides.
1-800-316-316 if you'd like to be part of this conversation today talking about respecting borders and welcoming borders. Gordon Priest, Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society, our guest. Let's take a call from John in Sydney. Hello, John. Welcome along to 2020. Hi, how are you going? Very good, um, John. What are your thoughts? Look, um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm involved in medicine and I've worked all over the world doing humanitarian medicine and uh, can't divulge too much, but I have um, uh, um, been involved with uh, intercepting asylum seekers in various places. Um, and I, I can tell you that I'm afraid to talk, uh, to say anything that's unpolitically correct, because my, my experience is that many of these um, refugees are, are, are not genuine, um, that they are economic migrants who are coming from third or fourth countries through safe countries. Uh, but I don't doubt, having said that, I don't doubt that there are genuine refugees refugees because I've come across those as well. And I've uh, treated people for 20 years in Africa, South America, the Pacific, um, and I get branded, if I even raise an objection to this, I get branded uh, a racist. I mean, it's clearly not the case. I mean, I spent many years treating people overseas. Um, and what I re- realize, though, is that, you know, um, you know, Merkel opening the borders in Germany for 800,000, which, uh, which family reunification amounts to 5 million people. Um, yes, it's, I, it would be ideal to take all these people, but they don't, uh, and I've seen it, they don't, uh, you know, the people who, who, who say open borders do not look at the impacts on, a lo- on, the, on the local uh, local population. And I can tell you from uh, in, being in various uh, uh, countries with, with conflict that, uh, you know, it doesn't work. I mean, it has to be well planned. And if you just overflow local populations, you recreate exactly the same conflicts that these people come from. It's and a I demonstration, that, isn't it, of just how complex this whole issue is. Uh, Gordon is. Priest, Gordon, what are your thoughts on what John is sharing? Um, John, thanks. A very, very, um, very helpful kind of angle from a lot of experience. We lost John. That's all right. He's listening lost, still. Lost um, yeah, and 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 obviously has you know runs on the board in terms of his service over there in humanitarian aid, etc. And I, I don't think it's helpful to just label people racist. Um, I I think there are legitimate concerns about the pace of acceptance of groups into a society, and um, it's interesting. Scripture does talk about borders in a, in some sense of positive ways, and in Acts 17, as if God kind of laid out. Uh, places for people to live. Um, now that doesn't necessarily mean that they're absolutely permanent, um, but that you you do need kind of fences, um, and because we're we're finite people, we need a sense of place. So um, I I found that uh, there were some Christians talking in the in the UK um, debates about this, and one Giles Fraser, who was former dean of St Paul's. In London, and he said, "Oh well, just just accept them all. Just let them all in, and and it doesn't matter if we wipe out the green fields of England. Um, just build flats and apartments, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And we have on our website at, at www.ethos.org.au um, a very good response to that. I think that takes seriously the sense of place that people have, and to be welcoming, you need to have some sense of home. So I think we need to work out how do you still maintain. Um, a, a sense of home and the the pace at which you accept um, immigrants and refugees, asylum seekers, etc., whether permanent or temporary, 
you need to be able to do in a way that you can still maintain a sense of home that can welcome those people. And I think that we're not in heaven yet. And while we want to bring about that great day when people from every tribe and tongue will gather around the throne of Christ, um, we need to recognize that people do tend to gather together in people with people who are like them. And so we need to balance that with how to accept those who are different as well. And we need to do that not in a way that's forced, but in a way that is um, with the, the country genuinely kind of decides that they're going to accept that. And so there is, and I think there is a danger, even though my, my heart is very much with Angela Merkel, um, there are dangers, for instance, I saw a documentary about the East German situation and East Germany didn't, you know, a, a lot of people there are on it. There's high rates of unemployment, etc. after the reunification. There's a lot of resentment. There's kind of neo-Nazism. Um, some of them appeal to Australia's immigration um, um, policy um, to sort of back up their desire to want to block people. On the other hand, in the, particularly in some of the West German places, there are many villages in that, where because they have a very low population rate and many parts of Europe have a very uh, low reproduction rate, then they're actually keen to have new people. But again, you've got to try and work out how do you, how do you adjust that mix in a way that's at a pace, if you like, where people can exercise and show grace. Our special guest this hour, Gordon Priest, Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society, talking through the complexities of what's going on in the Middle East at this time. Respecting borders, welcoming borders. Uh, you can be part of our conversation, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. Gordon, let's take another call. Let's hear from Graham in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome along to 2020. Hello, uh- I'd like to say that this is a real big picture. This actual fact is the dividing of the nations. It's making space for the uh, Muslims to uh, inhabit uh, North Africa and Arabia. It's you see that uh, Russia is aligned with with uh, Syria. It's aligned with uh, Iran and Iraq. And these are the kings of the East, and uh, and you've got the uh, European very strong. They're um, supporting. Uh, what is it? Uh, um, I'm trying to think. But they're, they're supporting. Uh, yep. IS. The, no, the the, the uh, Angela Merkel is supporting. Uh, what's it? Besides Syria, what's that country? I can't think. Um. Sorry, the country that um, uh, northern Iraq. And, uh, well, anyway, look. <laughs> sorry, Graham. Yep. So, I'm sorry about that. Yep, that's okay. Yep. What? Uh, yep. These are you're talking about uh, a dividing of the nations, yeah. and you're making uh, an ali- an alignment there uh, with uh, perhaps the way we might look at some biblical prophecy. Is that the? Well, is that exactly? Yeah. We, we. This is. Uh, this is the beginning of that dividing. Uh, it's, that the countries are aligning themselves with other countries. You've got Turkey. That's what I'm trying to think. Turkey. Turkey's yep. aligning itself, or Europe's aligning itself with Turkey to support it. Uh, Syria's been supported by Russia, 
and uh, you've got China right back there. They're all allied. Those countries are allied with each other. Graham, uh, let's get let's get a thought or two from Gordon Priest. Gordon, uh, I'm not sure what your eschatology might be, uh, right. but but when we see these things that are happening there in the Middle East, uh, there certainly does appear to be a similarity to some of those sorts of alignments that we might read about in biblical uh, prophecy. Um. Yeah, there does, but I think it's it, but I think it's more a surface similarity, and I, I think we need to recognise that scripture is primarily um, prophecy is primarily a foretelling by God to particular situations at particular times, and and um, challenging the people to repent, and um, it's primarily Israel that's sort of being challenged in most of the prophecies um, in the Old Testament, for instance, um, even Revelation is is largely about um, what went on, the persecutions under the Roman emperors and Christians being forced to, um, a bit like what's going on with IS, Christians being being forced to either deny their faith or uh, or be killed in, in um, cases. And so in, in, in that sense, Christians have been persecuted and um, God's people has been persecuted down through the ages, on and off, sometimes local, sometimes it was across the Roman Empire and that. But we need to be fairly careful because, you know, like China, for instance, isn't isn't mentioned at all in Scripture. Um, Russia, some people talk about, you know, when there's a mention of a bear in the prophets, but, you know, there were bears everywhere. They weren't all Russian bears. Um, and so there's a tendency for people, I think, to read their own kind of politics from today um, back into into the Bible. And I think then, then the Bible becomes a kind of nose of wax, is the way Luther described it, where uh, like Madame Tussauds, and you take the, the the nose and you turn it which way, and the, and that you turn the wax to make it look what it, like whatever you want it to look. And so I think we need to be a bit careful about talking about the um, prophecy in that in that kind of way. Um, I think it's it can be quite dangerous and um, and be quite fairly arbitrary. Okay, well, Graham from Tasmania, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020. one 316 if you'd like to join into our conversation. Let's hear from Lawrence. Lawrence is from Lebanon. Lawrence, welcome along to 2020. Lawrence, are you there? We might have lost Lawrence. Lawrence, you might like to try and call okay. us back. Uh, that's a shame. Would have been good to get his insights. Oh. Lawrence, uh, Lawrence, give us a call back at one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Chris, who is in Melbourne. Hello, Chris. Welcome along to twenty twenty. Thanks, Neil. Um, yeah, I just think this is a crusade on the part of Islam, disguised as refugees, and I, I think um, it's, it's significant that it's Europe because I think God is also using this as a punishment for what the Europe did to the Jews in the Holocaust, you know, especially Germany. And if you listen yesterday, Angela Merkel, she um, berated um, the Netanyahu for saying that Husseini uh, uh, started the Holocaust, which he did. So what she's um, is doing is if she takes full blame for Hitler, Germany, that should be Israel's number one protector. They should be blessing Israel more than anyone, but they don't. They want to take in all the, you know, refugees and... All this sort of thing. So I think God is using that as a as a judgment on Europe. So, and, and also, you know what I mean. She's still protecting Husseini and and all that instead of taking in Christian refugees. You know. Well, that that's certainly a very complex issue to be talking about too. Those comments from Benjamin Netanyahu that have certainly mm. set the cat among the pigeons as to uh, as to uh, the former Mufti and 
and uh, perhaps the influence upon Adolf Hitler with regards to uh, how the uh, final solution, which was called, that uh, that was the Holocaust. Uh, let's not get into that situation uh, today and that discussion. We'll, we might save that for another day and enlarge on on those sorts of issues. Uh, but so far as uh, so far as what is going on uh, with Germany and, uh, and those sorts of things, your thoughts, Gordon Priest? Well, Angela Merkel is apparently a, um, the daughter of a, a Lutheran pastor from East Germany. And so I think um, her motivations, I think, are in, are in many ways profoundly Christian um, in relationship to, to this and the, and the kind of hospitality that's being, being shown. But, um, yeah, like I said earlier, she has some real challenges in East Germany and, and um, neo-Nazis and other groups there. Um, I, I think it's a. I, I think she simply stated the facts. Um, one of the, one of the great great things we see in modern history has been for all the uh, disastrous things that have happened in some Christian countries. Let's say in Germany um, with the Second World War and in South Africa at the time of apartheid. What we've actually seen unlike, let's say, Japan in the Second World War, which has never been able to really admit what went on in their school textbooks, etc., um, or um, in terms of most, uh, let's say, Turkey and the Armenian genocide after the First World War, what we have actually seen is that, is that in Christian countries, there's more of a capacity to actually face the evil that they've done, uh, to repent and seek reconciliation. And that's been one of the great modern uh, miracles in places like like Germany and in and in South Africa. And I think um, so. I think Merkel simply recognised the facts. Um, I know there is a lot of uh, anti-Semitism um, amongst um, various Muslim groups. I don't want to say they're, they're all that way, but. Um, but I think it, it is a long bow to sort of blame it all on the, the, the Grand Mufti um, and say that that is, is responsible for, for Hitler. I think Netanyahu needs to be fairly careful about that because I, I don't know how many reputable historians would, would agree with that. Um, you know, Hitler, Hitler certainly um, drew on anti-Semitism within German history, uh, even some of Martin Luther, as much as I love Luther, um, in his in his um, latter days when he was really sick, he was quite anti-Semitic and said things that Hitler could use and exploit um, at that time. So there's a there's a uh, fairly strong local and domestic component um, of the anti-Semitism in um, in Germany, and and Angela Merkel is simply studying the historical facts and owning up to it. So I think we need to be very careful about again as in the comment about prophecy, about trying to sort of read God's will and saying God is doing this or God is doing that or punishing Europe because of, because of this. Um, you know, I, I do think we do need to be careful about the pace of, of Islamic uh, migration, um, etc. But that doesn't mean a, a total closed door. These, these people are desperate to find a welcome anywhere. You know, they're being killed, their children are being killed, and um, I don't think they're, they're planning some sort of Islamic takeover. Um, although I have, I have read that there, there are issues in Lebanon because of just the sheer numbers of, of Muslims who are moving into Lebanon. And um, Lebanon has a finely balanced um, sort of government system between uh, two different kind of Islamic uh, groups 
and and Christians. And uh, it's important to try and maintain those balances if, if possible. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. We're talking about respecting borders and welcoming borders. Our guest is Gordon Priest, Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society. Uh, Gordon, with the complexity of what's going on there in the Middle East, uh, let's talk about what churches can do because, I mean, you're obviously involved in areas of of uh, in your think tank responsibility of of coming up with scenarios and possibilities and and then obviously there's going to be some level of lobbying and and the major churches are uh, they all have various arms that have capacity to do that how important is it for churches to be involved in the process of looking for a solution not just relying on what governments can do yeah i think it it we can be let off the hook sometimes by saying the government should do this, the government should do that. Now, the, now the government's best equipped to do to do some things, like, for instance, to stop the bombs, um, which create more refugees. Um, but for um, and the government controls the borders. But um, now that they've made the decision about twelve thousand, which is a reasonable number, and half of those um, apparently are children. And I think from a Christian family values perspective, we ought to take that very, very seriously in terms of those children. And I know um, various gr- church groups are being mobilized, um, whether they're Anglicare or other Baptcare or other church groups. I've seen things from both of those groups, um, Uniting Care and others, who are, are seeking to to provide accommodation, support services, etc. Um, I know our... Uh, our person in charge of our multicultural um, side of the Anglican Church in Melbourne spoke to me last week on the phone and and talked about trying to make available property that uh, spare properties that churches have. You know, we have vicarages or manses, etc. So what you're saying is churches are actually mobilising to meet this need. We've got the announcement the 12,000 are coming. You're saying that churches around Australia are in fact mobilising to be able to meet the need when those primarily women and children arrive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, seeing, the, I'm seeing the evidence of that, the emails and you know the various forms of, of um, ways in which they're trying to get um, churches, um, local churches on board, etc., um, and and in, this happens with various waves of refugees. Like we we have three, like we're an Anglican church, a small, not particularly well-off Anglican church in the inner west of Melbourne, and we have three hundred Burmese Baptists, the Chin Chin people, who um, who worship with us. Like they have their own service, but we deliberately have it close enough to ours, so there's lots of mingling with them. And we're expanding our church to be able to accommodate them. We we have a building project um, going on at the moment. And they're, they're the most wonderful people, and they've brought great blessing and, um, and challenge us to be, you know, would we be willing to stand up for our faith if we were being persecuted? I heard a, a, a woman from the Chin people last night um, talk, talking at a book launch about suffering in Romans, and she broke down at a certain point um, in tears because of the suffering that she and her family and her people have been through. Um, these, you know, many of these people are profoundly Christian, um, but there are also people who are Muslim people and others that, that we also should accept. And, and many of these people are going to make very good citizens because they know what it's like to suffer under dictatorships. And, and uh, 
they will be very, very grateful um, to be received into a democratic society. Uh, Gordon, um, just a couple of minutes away from the news, let me just ask you very briefly about leadership. I mean, not everybody calls the Pope, Pope Francis, their leader, but he's he's said to Catholic parishes around the world, get mm-hmm. ready to take a Syrian family as an example of caring for those who are outside. What sort of responsibility is there upon leaders to actually set the example here? Absolutely, and and he's kind of leading very much from the from the top. But his leadership style has always been, you know, like when he when he does foot washing and that. And he's one who serves like Christ. And I think we need that right across the world. And and I think um, the Archbishop of Canterbury in in England, he's he's seeking to do the same sort of thing. I think he's actually taken some refugees actually into his into his home. Um, and so there's a there's a range of ways in which we can model that. Um, in in various sorts of ways, depending on our particular circumstances, and just like it says, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, in a sense, it takes a, a parish to raise, a, if you like, a refugee child, and to uh, to work with with the people who have suffered um, to seek unification. Like I, I had a woman who I, I met at the Cape Town conference of the Lausanne Congress of World Evangelization, a Syrian woman, a newsreader, um, an author. And and she contacted me about trying to see if there's some way we could sponsor her. And I investigated it and checked it out um, with this Australian Refugee Council. But at that stage, there was no no way we could actually do that um, uh, for her, which I was very, very sad about. And I had to kind of say, look, you may have more chance in the US, but... um, and, and it's a it's a discussion, isn't it, that every local church can have locally as to how they might move themselves in a direction, or or at least uh, just set their uh, sails for moving in a direction that might actually be uh, helpful in this circumstance. We we have run out of time, uh, Gordon. Yeah. Uh, I'll point people to the Ethos website though, where people can uh, make contact uh, with you and uh, can see other uh, resources available. That's ethos.org.au. Gordon Priest, Director of Ethos, the Evangelical Alliance Centre for Christianity and Society. Gordon, thanks for being with us again today on 2020. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me now. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.